Christian. It's really frightening not to know who I am, what I'm going to do. What do you want to do? I want to be an artist. His stomach ate up all those ants. We love stories! It's time for the apple seed, filled with stories for you and your family. Since 2013, we've been bringing you tall tales and fairy tales and folk tales and personal tales and historical tales and more. All kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers. Now, on today's episode, have you ever found yourself in a tough situation, whether caused by your own choices or somebody else's choices or maybe just life, and that you've had to sort of step up and go through those hard times and hopefully overcome them? Well, if that's happened to you, as it's happened to most of us, you're going to be like a lot of the heroes in today's story. You're going to get to hear about brave and sometimes silly heroes as they step up and become who they need to be in order to overcome the things that oppress them. We're going to hear from Noah Baum with a story called The Turkey and the Mayor, a hilarious tale from Noah. And you'll hear a story called 10,000 Treasure Cave from the storytelling duo of Ethnotech. And you're going to hear a story from J.O. Callahan called Head First from a piece of his called Dancing with Fire. But to introduce us to the first story that we're going to hear today, I'm pleased to have in the studio with me one of our assistant producers, Kendra Hanna. Kendra, it's great to have you with me. Great to be here. And tell me what we're going to hear today. This is a Noah Baum story, right? Yeah. So we're going to be listening to a story called The Turkey and the Mayor. <laughs> and in this story, there's just this poor old man in this village who loves his pet turkey more than life. And the turkey wants to give back a little. So when he finds a piece of gold, he wants to take it to his owner. But the very greedy mayor is going to take it from him. <laughs> and well, we'll see what happens when he goes to get it back. Boy, I'll tell you, I wouldn't mind a turkey that brought me gold pieces. Right? Honestly. A, a grateful pet. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I've seen Noah Baum perform this story live on stage. Really? And it's as much fun to watch as it is to listen to it. Here's Noah Baum with the turkey and the mayor here on The Apple Seed. Welcome back. This is another love story. Long ago, in the days when Placerville was called Hangtown, there was an old man, old Samuel everyone called him. He lived in a shack outside the town and he was so poor he had nothing but one turkey. But he loved that turkey. He loved that turkey so much that no matter how hungry he was, he could never bring himself to kill the turkey and eat it. Folks in the town thought he was a little touched in the head. I mean, after all, if a man's hungry and he's got a turkey, what's the logical thing to do? Eat it. But old Samuel would hear nothing of it. Now the turkey, he liked it fine. He was an independent kind of turkey, liked strutting up and down the country roads by himself all day. And one day, as he was strutting down the road, he suddenly saw something glimmering in the dust. He bent down and he saw it was a piece of gold. <gasps> he thought to himself, why? With this gold, my old man will never be hungry again. He picked it up on his beak and he turned around to go to old Samuel's shack, when suddenly he bumped beak to belly with the mayor of the town. 
Now the mayor of the town, he was big. I mean, he was big. His belly went way before him. He was also very rich. And as rich as he was, he was greedy, the greediest man you've ever met. The minute he saw that gold glimmering in the turkey's beak, he said, Hey, turkey, give me that gold. And the turkey looked up at him with his big googly eyes and he said, Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> The mayor was not used to anybody saying no to him. He said, Turkey, you heard what I said. You give me that gold now. Turkey looked up at him with his big googly eyes and he said, Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Mayor said, now, turkey, you listen here. This here is my town. This here is my road. And that here is my gold. Now you give it. And the turkey, he looked up at him. And what did he say? <laughs> the mayor got upset. He called to his sheriff, who was standing all along behind him, but nobody could see him because he was so skinny. Sheriff, get that gold out of the turkey's beak now. Sheriff said, yes, sir. Anything you say, sir. <laughs> and he bent down and snatched that gold out of the turkey's beak. And then he and the mayor went back to the mayor's house, locked that piece of gold in the mayor's chest of treasures. And the poor turkey, he was left there in the middle of the road. But only for a minute. He immediately turned around, followed them all the way to the mayor's house, flew up to the mayor's window, stood right on top of the mayor's window sill, and started to... Sing, gobble go, gobble go, gobble gobble go, give me back my gold or woe is you. Gobble go, gobble go, gobble gobble go, give me back my gold or woe is you. And he didn't stop. The mayor was sitting down to have his supper. He said, Sheriff, Sheriff, get that noise out of my window. I want to have my supper in peace. Yes, sir. What would you like me to do with them, sir? Oh, just, um, throw him in the well. Drown the thing. Yes, sir. Anything you say, sir. <laughs> and the sheriff, he grabbed that turkey and he threw him smack down to the bottom of the well. And the turkey could feel the water bubbling up, bubbling up, bubbling up. And he thought, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? So he sang to his stomach. Stomach of mine, stomach of mine, drink up all the water and I'll be fine. His stomach drank up all the water in the well. And he flew back to the mayor's window, stood right on that windowsill and started to sing. Gobble, go, gobble, go, gobble, gobble, go, give me back my gold or woe is you. Gobble, go, gobble, go, gobble, gobble, go, give me back my gold or woe is you. And he didn't stop. The mayor was getting upset. Sheriff, I told you to get rid of that turkey. Now you get rid of that. Yes, sir. What would you like me to do with him, sir? <laughs> Just cook the thing. Burn it to death. <laughs> yes, sir. Anything you say, sir. <laughs> That sheriff grabbed the turkey, put him in a pot, lit the fire beneath him, and the turkey could feel those flames scorching his poor feathers, and he thought, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? So he sang to his stomach. 
Stomach of mine, stomach of mine. Spit up all the water and I'll be fine. His stomach spit up all the water. Put out the fire. So he could fly back from there to the mayor's window, stand right on the windowsill, and start to sing. Gobble, 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 give me back my gold or woe is you. Gobble, 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 give me back my gold or woe is you. And he did not stop. Now the mayor was getting really mad. Sheriff, you get in here. Sheriff, I told you to get rid of that nuisance. Now you get rid of it. Yes, sir. What would you like me to do with them, sir? Just, just put them on an anthill. Let those ants eat them alive. Yes, sir. Anything you say, sir. And the sheriff grabbed that turkey and he put him on top of an anthill. And those mean red ants, they crawled out and they started biting and eating that poor turkey. And he thought, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? So he sang to his stomach, stomach of mine, stomach of mine, eat up all the ants and I'll be fine. His stomach ate up all those ants. So he could fly back to that window, stand right on the windowsill, and start to sing. Gobble, go, gobble, go, gobble, gobble, go, give me back my gold, or woe is you. Gobble, go, gobble, go, gobble, gobble, go, give me back my gold, or woe is you. And he didn't stop. The mayor by now was so mad he could barely speak. <laughs> Sheriff! <laughs> Sheriff, get rid of that turkey! Yes, sir. What would you like me to do with them, sir? I don't care. You think of an idea. Me, sir? You! <laughs> Sheriff scratched his head. Well, sir? Suppose you could always sit on him, sir. Kind of squish the life out of him. <laughs> the mayor liked that idea. And so the sheriff grabbed the turkey and put him on a big velvety chair. And the mayor sat on that turkey. And the turkey could feel the life being squished out of him. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? So he sang to his stomach. Stomach of mine, stomach of mine, spit up all the ants and I'll be fine. <laughs> His stomach spit up all those ants, and those mean red ants, they started biting and eating that mare in the you-know-where. <gasps> oh! He jumped up. He started running all over the room, hollering at the top of his voice. Oh, 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 give him his gold, give him his gold. <laughs> and Sheriff said, Yes, sir. Anything you say, sir. And he opened up that chest of treasures. And the turkey looked inside and he saw his piece of gold, nice and snug, next to lots of other pieces of gold and silver and precious stones. Do you know what he did? He sang to his stomach. Stomach of mine, stomach of mine, eat up all the treasure and I'll be fine. <laughs> 
His stomach ate up all the treasure in that chest, and then he strutted down that dusty road back to old Samuel's shack, stood right in the middle, and sang to his stomach. Stomach of mine, stomach of mine, spit up all the treasure and we'll be fine. His stomach did just that, and with all that treasure, why, he and old Samuel never knew another day of hunger. And last I heard, they're living still, old Samuel and that turkey together. <laughs> The story of the turkey and the mayor, told by Noah Baum here on the Apple Seed. I've been listening to it with Kendra Hanna. And I'll tell you, Kendra, one of the things I love about these live performances, right, and this performance recorded live before a terrific little audience, is I just love to hear the participation of the kids who are listening, right? Exactly. It's, it's like being in the room. <laughs> uh huh. It's so fun because they just find it so delightful, and that yeah. just... It makes me so happy to hear that. <laughs> there are all kinds of stories that you can tell that contain refrains and, you know, little phrases and things like that, songs that that your audience can sing along or say along with you. And that can really engage, especially a young audience, in, uh, in a story that they might otherwise have trouble following. I love those little audience refrains that they get to do. It's terrific. Yeah, they're so fun. And I love this story because I have never heard a story about a turkey before that was not centered around Thanksgiving. Right. <laughs> and I just, I thought that that was so fun. Yeah. Yep. Noah Baum tells stories from all over the world. And that one was really a delight. The Turkey and the Mayor, told for you by Noah Baum. And we're happy to bring it to you here on The Appleseed. Kendra, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. And there's a lot more coming up. Stick around. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you on The Appleseed today. A moment ago, you heard the story, The Turkey and the Mayor, from Noah Baum. That's from a collection of stories called Far Away and Close to Home. Noah's name is spelled N-O-A. B-A-U-M. You can look her up on the internet and find her website and other places where you can hear Noah's great work. In just a little bit here, you're going to hear a story from Ethnotech, the storytelling duo of Robert Kikuchi Ngoho and Nancy Wong. It's a story called 10,000 Treasure Cave, and you won't want to miss it. But first, because we know that the sharing of memories can sometimes be the spark that ignites a memory for you that you can share with the people that you love. We're going to bring you a memory of mine about some of the earliest books that came into my possession. The story is today's Radio Family Journal entry. Here it is. The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it. On the Appleseed. I think I'll always remember the first book I ever bought with my own money. My elementary school experience, like yours maybe, was characterized by our teacher handing out monthly book order catalogs. Remember those? A single sheet of full-color newsprint advertising books. And by an appointed day, you'd bring back to school an order form indicating which books you wanted, and you'd bring a check, and the teacher would bundle them up and send them off to Scholastic or Troll or whatever company had sent the catalog. 
and then we'd wait. And about six weeks later, it was like Christmas. Our teacher lifted books out of cardboard boxes and distributed them to our desks at the end of the day. I remember poring over those book orders with my parents. My parents were young, and I was their first child, and they didn't have a lot of money, but they did want to make room for books. So we made careful choices and ticked boxes on the book order, and my mom would write a check on the appointed day, and books for me came into our home about four times a year at the rate of a quarterly book order catalog. And then came something different. Not a book order, but the book fair. Now, this was different, and I'd never seen anything like it. It was only going to last a couple of days, and it was run by the PTA as a fundraiser, and it was like a bookstore set up right inside the library of our elementary school. No waiting for six weeks for books to come in the mail. I mean, we knew it was coming, and my mother told me that I could buy any book I wanted at the book fair as long as I used my own money. Now, in those days, I got 50 cents a week in allowance, and I could count on a crisp fiver from my grandma for my birthday and other special occasions, but I did have a tendency to spend that allowance and that fiver on penny candy and bottles of root beer. And now, something to save for, a book of my own, bought with my own money. And I wondered if I could do it. I had a little runway. Of course, the book fair was on the school calendar, but it wasn't happening for a few weeks. I had some time. And when allowance time came, I had to steel myself against the temptation of heading to market for candy and soda. It was a strong temptation, I gotta say. There's not a lot better than heading down to the corner store, coins jingling in your pocket with your pals, all of you on your bikes, stacking your bikes outside the store and heading to the soda refrigerator for a frosty root beer and then asking the high school kid behind the checkout counter to fill your palm with the finest Swedish fish or now and laters and then heading across the street to the city park to eat it all and then back to the store to trade your empty soda bottle for 10 cents and then a few more candies from behind the counter and then home again on our bikes. I mean, we even knew then that we were building memories to last a good long time. But I was able to forego all that until the book fair. It was tough, but I did it. I wanted to feel the same feeling I got when my teachers read to us. I wanted to be out on the prairie with Laura Ingalls Wilder and her family like I was when Miss Phillips read to us. I wanted to walk through the wardrobe and into the coming of spring in Narnia like I did when Miss Winger read to us. I wanted to solve the mystery of the ghosts unfolding for us when Mr. Bodell read to us. And that hope, that memory of being read to us by our teachers, the idea that I could recapture that at home, helped me sock away my allowance in those weeks before the book fair. And then, of course, it came. A hundred different books to choose from. And when I chose... It was a copy of Where the Red Fern Grows, a book Mrs. Searle read to her classes every year, and every year made her cry hard enough that she had to call another teacher in to finish the final chapters. That book by Wilson Rawls about those two hunting dogs and their boy. Well, I had shelves full of books at home, and buying books was a priority for my folks, but buying my own book was a rite of passage I've never forgotten. I think of it often. 
whenever I look at the hundreds of books now that stand next to that old copy of Where the Red Fern Grows and above it and below it on good full shelves in my house as a grown-up. I cry the tears my teachers cried, and I laugh the way my teachers laughed, and thrill the way my teachers thrilled to a lot of those books. I was able to capture that magic. It wasn't even hard. I just had to open the books. And here's to those teachers, those teachers who taught me how to read and also taught me how to love it. The Radio Family Journal of Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it, on the Appleseed. Thanks for joining me for that entry of the Radio Family Journal, all about some of the earliest books that I remember owning. If you remember some of the early books that came into your life, those are stories worth telling. Open your mouth and share them around the kitchen table or the living room. That kind of storytelling can make for memories that last a lifetime. Coming up, you're going to hear stories from Jay O'Callaghan and from Ethnotech, the storytelling duo of Robert Kikuchi Ngoho and Nancy Wong. That's coming up. But first, a conversation with a friend. Great stories come into our lives in so many ways, through the books that we read, the meals that we share, the songs that we remember, and of course the films that we bring into our life as well. And to talk about some of those memories of how those great stories come into our lives, we love to do that with friends here in the studio. And I'm pleased to be joined in the studio by Jeff Simpson, our producer. Jeff, it's great to have you with me. It is great to be here. You know, we... we, we we can't have a conversation with you without talking about a movie. It seems that way, right? <laughs> well, Sam, the year was 1999. <laughs> and I remember sitting in a movie theater with some friends. In a world. Yes. That was 1999. <laughs> <laughs> and we were watching this movie by this really exciting new director. It wasn't the first thing he directed, but uh, it was certainly the first thing that got him on the map. Yeah. And this was a movie that would go on to be nominated for Best Picture some of the actors in it would be nominated for their performances. And it was by a young new director named M. Night Shyamalan. What? A film starring Bruce Willis and Haley Joel Osment and the wonderful Tony Collette. <laughs> Everybody was sitting enjoying this movie. And if you haven't seen this movie, I don't think I can spoil too much at this point, yeah. right? But the end of the movie comes. There's the big reveal. The entire audience is floored. You hear these gasps. Except you don't hear one from me. And the reason for that is because the ending came as no surprise to me. And that is because of a boy named Randy Smedley. <laughs> and, of course, we're talking about the movie The Sixth Sense, yes, right? Yes, The and, Sixth Sense. And I think people kind of divide themselves into categories on this movie, right? People who say they saw the ending coming and people who were surprised. Yes, right? and I was not surprised. You are of the first category. I remember sitting at a friend's house. Randy Smedley was there. People were talking about this new movie that was out. He spoiled the ending for me, Sam. And I said, wait a minute. Did you just spoil the ending for me? And he's like, oh, no, no, trying to backtrack. No, that's that's not what happens. <laughs> Once the cat's out of the bag, right? Yeah. And so, no, that's not what happens. That's my favorite retraction. Right? Yeah. Watching it, I kept telling myself, trying to convince myself that, no, he was just kidding around. Yeah. That can't possibly be the ending. And boy, was it disappointing for me because it would have been 
an amazing experience like it was for everybody else that I was there with that night. But still, it's a fantastic movie filled with mystery and clues and, you know, all this imagery and symbolism. I had to think back on another experience because I thought, wait a minute, this isn't the first run-in that I've had with Randy Smedley. (laughs) Uh, And I don't know if you had a childhood nemesis, Sam. I wouldn't call him my nemesis, but there were some experiences that he just completely ruined for me. Listen, yeah, I was going to say, once he ruins the ending of The Sixth Sense, nemesis is an appropriate word. (laughs) I'm sure if you sat down and you thought about it, there's got to be somebody that maybe they weren't a bully, maybe they weren't your enemy, but there were things that they just spoiled for. You and you know, kind of like that uh, unibrowed baby from The Simpsons is Maggie's nemesis, right? <laughs> and all they can do is just stare evilly at each other. Um, I thought back on another experience. This was a church activity for young people, a primary activity, right? And there were all these games and activities. And I remember when I first got there, entered the doors, there is this mason jar full of these multicolored jelly beans. And you've probably played some game like this before. You've probably seen some sort of a contest that's similar to this. But the whole idea is that you go right down on this piece of paper how many whatevers are in the mason jar, right? right? In this case, jelly beans. So I thought of a number that was significant to me. And by studying the jar very carefully, as you do as a child, because you want to get that jar... I don't actually, I don't even really like jelly beans all that much, but it's the winning it's the game. Right? It's the win. Yes. That's right. And I think I wrote something like 323 jelly beans in the jar. And I didn't think anything of it because what are the odds of, of winning that contest, right? Well, it turns out I had to leave that activity early. Don't remember why, but I had to get out of there early. Never got to see who the winner was. Well, it came back to me later that uh, not only did I win the contest, (laughs) but I had guessed the exact same number of jelly beans in that mason jar. Unheard of, right? Yeah. Or at least that's just the way I remember it, right? (laughs) But the point is, I was not there to collect the prize. So you would think, okay, jelly beans, they're in a mason jar. They're not going to spoil anytime soon, right? coming. I see. But instead of giving them to me, sending them off to my house after the fact, they decided to give the mason jar to the next closest guesser, which just happened to be, you may have guessed it already, Randy (laughs) Smedley. Foiled again, right? (laughs) Although this happened first. Um, Yeah. I Again, I never really uh, disliked Randy, but when two of these things happen, you're sensing a pattern. You're sensing a and pattern. And I can only imagine that somewhere down the line in my life, I'm going to have another run-in with Randy Smedley. <laughs> and maybe he's going to, you know, maybe we're both going to be speeding in our cars, racing, once we know that Randy's in that car and I'm in this yeah. car. And one of us is going to get pulled over, and I'm willing to bet it's going to be me. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. That was just an example I pulled out of thin air. Yeah. Brandy uh, Smedley, listen, if you're listening, <laughs> we will have you in to tell your side of the story. We absolutely will. Oh, and he will laugh and <laughs> laugh and laugh. Yeah, I can't wait to see what movie he spoils for me next. <laughs> have you ever had a movie spoiled for you, though, that just ruins the experience for you? You know, I I have. I have. My, my wife always gets there before anybody else. 
Uh, she mm. I, and I mean even she's never seen the film right whatever the, whatever the film is she's never seen the film we're watching the film for the first time and she always gets there before everybody else and so I'll get surprised <laughs> and she'll kind of shrug and go eh that color yeah. Right. yeah so yeah so it's not so much she she doesn't spoil it for me she doesn't turn to me and say hey this is what's gonna happen right but when we get there and I have the look of delight and surprise on my face I look at her and she's just got the look of having seen it come a mile away. Don't be that person is the moral of the story. (laughs) I will tell you that The Sixth Sense was the film that made me believe that maybe I did like scary movies after all. All right. Yeah, so there it is. What a pleasure to chat with you about not only The Sixth Sense, but an old nemesis as well. (laughs) Jeff, thanks for joining me. Thanks. Great stories come into our lives in so many ways. A pleasure to chat about a memorable film with our producer, Jeff Simpson. We'll have him back. There's lots more coming up on The Apple Seed. You're going to hear from Ethnotech and also from Jay O'Callaghan coming up. You won't want to miss a word. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Apple Seed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you today. A moment ago, you heard a conversation with our producer, Jeff Simpson, about a memorable film for him, that M. Night Shyamalan feel-good horror film, The Sixth Sense. And coming up, we've got a story from Ethnotech. Now, Ethnotech is the storytelling duo of Robert Kikuchi Ngoho and Nancy Wong. And they tell and perform Asian and Asian American stories by weaving together distinctive cultural elements of the East and the West to create all kinds of new possibilities. A performance from Nancy and Robert is a colorful, emotional experience. In this tale from China, a couple of poor farmers are rewarded for their kindness and generosity with keys to a magical place known as 10,000 Treasure Cave. When the evil empress catches wind of the magical treasures the farmers bring home, how are they going to protect themselves and continue to share with their neighbors? You're going to find out in this story, 10,000 Treasure Cave, brought to you by Ethnotech, here on The Appleseed. A long, long time ago, in a far and distant land called the Middle Kingdom, otherwise known as China, a land of rolling hills and jagged mountain peaks, and low, fertile valleys where farmers dwelled. Now the farmers of this land worked hard to till the soil, and although their crops were bountiful, They were always poor. And this is because there was an evil, greedy empress who seized all their crops for tax. Now on this one fine day, on this one particular farm, there lived two farmers. The man's name was Koli. And the wife's name was Maymay. Koli. You have the one bowl of porridge for today. 
No, I'm not hungry. You have the one bowl of porridge for today. But you've worked so hard. You have it. <laughs> well, you've worked hard, too. You have it. No, you have it. I'm not hungry. Well, you have it. I'm not hungry. Well, you have it, please. Well, you have you it. Have it. No, you have you it. have it. You have you it. You have it. You have it. Suddenly, there was a knock at the door. Hungry old man, you have it. Doge, thank you. Why, the old man was so frail that he could hardly speak. All he could do was point in the direction of the mountains, and Koli, thinking that he wished to go home, kindly placed him on his back and carried him up the mountain path in the direction his fingers pointed. Through the forest, under low-lying branches, across raging rivers, and up, 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 a very steep cliff. And when they got there, the old man summoned his granddaughter. Yuchuan, come here. This farmer and his wife were so kind and generous to me. Let's reward them with the secret <laughs> of 10,000 treasure caves. Yes, Gung Gung. Young brother, Beyond these mountains, there is a treasure cave full of 10,000 treasures, any of which and all of which you may have. But first, fashioned from my earrings, are two keys. A gold key to enter the cave and a silver key to leave the cave. Now, young brother, whatever you do, do not enter the cave without the silver key to leave or you will be locked in the cave forever. Oh, two keys? 10,000 treasure cave? Anything we want? Oh, I must hurry home and tell May May. <laughs> May May! Holy! I am back. What happened? Two keys. Two keys? 10,000 treasure cave. 10,000 treasure cave? Anything we want. Anything? We'll be rich. Oh, I've always wanted a pair of woolen socks. Think of it. A comforter for the bed. Anything and we want. And a plow to plow the land. A plow? How about some jade? Coley, can you plant jade and grow corn? Oh, well, how about some sparkling rubies? Can you plant rubies and grow beans? Well, at least some fine pearls for your neck. Oh, that would be nice, but... But no, that doesn't benefit both of us. Hmm. I know. Something, something useful. Uh, that makes sense. Hurry home. Something useful. <laughs> <laughs> 10,000 treasure cave. Oh, yes, two keys. The gold key to enter and the silver key to leave. <laughs> First, the gold key. As soon as Coley entered the treasure cave, the cave door slammed shut. It was dark inside, but by the tenth step, a light began to shine, and dazzle, 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 
Why, there was jade, gold, pearls, rubies, silver, gold, egg, and everything, anything. Anything we want? <laughs> no. Something useful, like, ah, like that. Something useful. A white stone grinder for grinding wheat. Now that makes sense. <laughs> and now, the silver key to leave. May <laughs> May! I am back. Oh, what did you bring? A white stone grinder for grinding wheat. Now that makes sense. I can now become the grinder of wheat for our village. Useful. Here, you try it. No, you try it. You try it. No, you go first. You go first. No, you try it. You try it. No, no. Oh, all right, I'll go. Yeah. I'll try it. <laughs> oh. Gotta, 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 gotta. Shizzle. Piles. Gotta, 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 gotta. Shizzle. Mounds. Gotta, 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 gotta. Shizzle, shizzle. Heaps and heaps of wheat. Magic. We'll never be hungry. We can share. With our neighbors. And share. And our friends. And share. The entire village. Oh, the villagers were so delighted that soon the word spread across the land. Meanwhile. <laughs> presenting Her Royal Highness, the Empress. Yes, now then, I am very royal. Royal. And very rich. Filthy. I have 2,000 head of cow. Cattle. 20,000 pigs. Sows. Oh, 10,000 chickens. Chickens. And all their little eggs. Poultry. And I own this palace, mm. the mountains, the valleys. Real estate. Oh, I have everything right. Right. Everything. Everything. Oh, right. 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 Wrong. Oh. I have heard that in the valley there is a magic stone grinder and I must have it now! No! <laughs> gotta, 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 gotta. Oh. In the name of Her Royal Highness, the Empress, you, who, that, what, white stone grinder, yes, is mine! No! Lovely. Let me see. I want to touch it. <laughs> but when the Empress touched the grinder, it turned into a pile of white ash. Useless. Off with your useless head. No. Katut, katut, katut. Oh, yuck. Oh, but don't worry. I have 99 more where that comes from. <laughs> May May. Do you think you should go back up to Treasure Cave? I have the two keys Shh. right here. Something useful. That makes sense. Hurry home. <laughs> Ten thousand Treasure Cave. Pick to enter the gold key. Dazzle, dazzle, gold, silver, pearl, sparkling rubies, anything we want.
something useful like that. A yellow stone mortar for pounding rice. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> the silver key. Where's the silver key? Oh, oh, I'll be trapped in here forever. No. Oh. oh. It's right here in my pocket. Oh, gosh. Oh. <laughs> May May! Collie! I am back. What did you bring? A yellow stone mortar for pounding rice. Now that makes sense. I can now become the pounder of rice for our village. Useful. Here, you try. Okay, I will. Kutut! Shabba 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 shabba! Piles! Kutut! Shabba 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 shabba! Mounds! Kutut! Shabba 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 shabba! Heaps and heaps of rice! Magic! We'll never be hungry. We can share. With our neighbors. And share. And our friends. And share. The entire village. Oh, the villagers were so grateful that soon the word spread across the land. Meanwhile. <laughs> Number 99, reporting for duty, your highness. <laughs> Watch your head, Sonny. Yes. <laughs> now then. I have heard that in the village there is a magic yellow stone mortar. Oh. And I must have it now! You! Who? That! What? Yellow stone mortar! Yes? Is mine! No! Your Highness! Lovely, lovely. Let me see. Oh, it is very yellow. Watch out. Watch out. Oh. As soon as the Empress touched the yellow stone mortar, it turned into a lump of yellow clay. Uh oh. Useless. Off with your useless head. <laughs> now then, yuck. I must think of a different plan. Yes? May May. Do you think you should go back to the treasure? I still have the two keys. Something useful. Makes sense. Hurry home. Oh, 10,000 treasure keys. The gold key to enter. Like that hoe. Hmm. Thok, 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 thok. <laughs> ah, the silver key to Lee. Silver key. Oh, 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 where's the silver key? Oh no, I'm trapped again. Ah. Oh, how'd it get there? Oh. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> May, May. I'm back. Oh, what did you bring? A hoe. A hoe? For hoeing. A ho ho ho. ho, -ho. <laughs> Try it. Hmm. Stunka. Ho. A magic giant cornstalk. Another. Stunka. Ho. Another. Stunka. 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 Ho. 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 
Take it away. Share. Give it away. Share. Oh, we're up to our ears. But nonetheless, the villagers were so thankful that soon. Not again. <clears throat> you. Who? That. The hoe? No. This time we're taking him. Not Colleen. Colleen! So, you're the one who's been finding all these magic things? Yes. And you will tell me where you got them, yes? No way, Jose. Oh. Then I'm afraid it's off with your useless head. Oh, oh, wait, 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 wait. I, 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 uh, I won't tell you. What? I will show you. Oh, good boy, lovely. Thousand treasure cave. And to get in, there's this gold key. Ooh, and all gold you got key? Give me that. Ooh, Ooh, lovely, oh, lovely. Oh. I can't wait. Oh. Dazzle, dazzle, dazzle. All mine. But without the silver key. Let me out. How do I get out? It's all useless. took that silver key and threw it over the cliff. <laughs> Ethnotech with a tale from China called 10,000 Treasure Cave. We hope you enjoyed listening to that tale as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. It's been our pleasure to be with you today to bring you stories from Ethnotech and from Noah Baum, a conversation with Jeff Simpson and uh, an entry in the Radio Family Journal about getting books out of book orders and at the book fair. And we're going to bring you one more story today. This is from the great storyteller Jay O'Kell. And in this story, from the life of one of his friends, a woman named Teo is faced with the prospect of life after raising her children. And as she searches for new purpose and meaning in her life after that child-raising chapter has ended, what new experiences will she find and what will she discover in herself? Here's J.O. Callahan with a story called Head First. We're happy to bring it to you here on The Appleseed. I have a friend named Teo, and I love her name, Teo, T-H-E-O, she spells it. Teo was sitting at the breakfast table one morning having coffee, and her son Sam, he's a junior in high school, he said, Mom, maybe in college I'll major in theater. And Teo looked up and smiled, and she said, Ah. And when Teo says, Ah. Doors open up inside you. Possibilities appear. Sam, he went off to high school and Teo, she whispered into her black coffee, Sam's almost in college. 
and Rachel's in college. My biological function is done. What am I going to do next? Who am I? She called a friend, Christiane Corbat. Christiane is also a sculptor. And that afternoon, the two of them, Christiane and Teo, sat in Teo's kitchen having mugs of tea. It was a light snow outside. Christiane, it's really frightening not to know who I am, what I'm going to do. What do you want to do? I want to be an artist. I want to paint chairs. You see that chair over there, that dull old chair? I would like to paint it purple, and I'd like to paint polka dots all over it. But that's not being an artist. Of course it is, Teo. Christiane, I am scared to death. Teo, everybody gets frightened. There was a time I could not get on an airplane for years. Really? Yes, Teo. I'm glad you told me because the thing that frightens me more than anything in the world, Christiane, is getting on elevators. I cannot get on an elevator. I can barely think about a stainless steel elevator. They're like coffins to me. I was trapped in a closet as a little girl and never got over it. Tail, this is the perfect time for me to sculpt your head. I'll sculpt your head and send it into the world. What do you think? Teo sat there for a bit and finally smiled and said, Ah. A few weeks later, Christian called and said, Teo, could you come down to the studio? I want to cast your head. I have found the perfect box for your head. It's a big Victorian box, wooden box about a foot and a half high, beautifully carved, and your head will be emerging out of the box. Come on down. Teo came down. Christian said, this is wet plaster gauze. I'm going to put it in your face. Shut your eyes. Teo shut her eyes and thought it's going to be suffocating, but it wasn't. It was clammy and dreamy. Now, Teo, the plaster's going to harden, so imagine your head emerging out of the box. What's the expression you want on your face? Teo couldn't decide, so one corner of her mouth went up and one corner went down and the plaster hardened. Weeks later, Christian called. Your head's done, Teo. Come on down. Teo stepped into the studio and looked at her head. Her head was stunning, fascinating. Her head was emerging out of the box, and it was blue. Her head was a deep, vivid, electric blue. Stars were painted in the eyes. Starfish were on top of the head. Bones were in the box. Do you like a tail? Yes. Tail brought a friend, Barbara, down to see her head, and Barbara said, I don't like a tail. It's frightening. And Tail thought, Ah, oh, I like it even more then, because you don't have to be beautiful to go out into the world, and that's what Tail's head did. Christian called and said, I'm in Greenwich Village, Tail in a gallery, and people are intrigued with your head. Psychiatrists are buzzing all around your head. Teo said, my head is doing all of that? Yes. Next, Teo's head went to the Lyman Allen Museum in Connecticut. At that time, Teo was taking her son, Sam, to Connecticut College for an interview. After the interview, they drove off and they saw a sign, Lyman Allen Art Museum. Sam, that's where my head is. Let's go see my head. So they drove to the museum, closed Monday. 
Sam, I've got to see my head. Let's go up and knock on the door. You go, Mom. Kale bounded up the stairs, and she knocked on the door, and she waited. So Teo knocked again and waited again. So Teo knocked hard on the door, and finally the door opened a crack. An older woman said, We're closed Monday. I've got to see my head. Come back tomorrow. No, my head, my head, mine is the blue head. And the door opened wider. That you? Yes, that's me. The blue head is me. Well, come on in, let's see it together. They went up the stairs. The marble stairs into the gallery. There was sunlight on Teo's head, and the woman said, Your head is radiant. When Teo was back in the car, she said, Sam, it was fun. Christian called one more time. Teo, I think your head should be in your house now. Would you like that? Yes. So Teo's head was brought to her house, and Teo put it on the living room floor and put lots of plants around so her head could settle in. And right beside the big blue head, Teo put a little sculpted head that her aunt had made of Teo when Teo was a little girl. Every morning, Teo would walk around the two heads with her black coffee thinking, who am I, who am I, who am I? One morning, Teo stopped short and whispered to her coffee, I forgot. Today is my mammogram. I hate to get the mammogram. So impersonal and painful, and Mum died of breast cancer. It always ruins the day. Well, it's not going to ruin the day. Taya went down to the hospital, and she walked up four flights of stairs, down the corridor, into the x-ray room, and she had the mammogram. And it was impersonal, and it was painful. But Teo sat there, thinking, well, it hasn't ruined my day. And Teo left the x-ray room and walked down the corridor and found herself standing in front of an elevator. Teo pressed the button and the door slid open. It was as if the elevator was waiting. It was waiting. Teo stepped onto the elevator and she looked at the stainless steel walls and said, Do your worst, because I'm going to take you down. And the doors closed. All of the terrors of childhood came back. Fears of being lost in a forest, the terror of being trapped in a closet. But Teo reached out and pressed the black button for the first floor. And the elevator obeyed her and brought her down and opened its doors. And Teo stepped off. And she strode out of the hospital and went right to the hardware store and she ordered a quart of purple paint and a half dozen little cans with different colors. And she couldn't wait to get home to paint the chair with purple polka dots. great Massachusetts storyteller Jay O'Callaghan with Head First. 
Lots of great stories today. It's been such a pleasure to spend this hour with you, bringing you not only that story from J. O'Callaghan, but also 10,000 Treasure Cave from Ethnotech, the storytelling team of Nancy Wong and Robert Kikuchi Ungoho. And you heard, uh, of course, a conversation with Jeff Simpson, our producer, about a beloved old film of his, The Sixth Sense by M. Night Shyamalan. And uh, The Turkey and the Mayor, that wacky story from Noah Baum from her collection Far away and close to home. It's been such a pleasure to be with you. Join us online at byuradio.org slash Appleseed for all kinds of great stuff. And of course, you can find Appleseed extras there too. In addition to the full hour-long episodes of the Appleseed that you hear, you can also find mini episodes. Again, we call them extras and they contain just a single story, just a few minutes long in case you only have a few minutes and you want to fill them with a great story. Today's Appleseed extra is the legend of Kulintang, uh, another story from Ethnotech, and you'll enjoy that. Our producer is Jeff Simpson. I'm Sam Payne, and I can't wait to be with you again. Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time. <laughs>